0: East side in the afternoon of a turkey.
1: Exciting live hunts like this. Holy crap, that coming. (laughs) teach you how to cook your bird with advice such as this.
0: With some fresh rosemary and garlic and then cool that off and spread that along the inside of that butterflied turkey breast that we've seasoned on both sides.
1: Wildlife management tips for your property especially with turkeys like this.
0: If you look at the type of habitats that turkeys need for nesting and brooding Thank you for tuning in and now for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter podcast. You are listening to episode number 456, The Man Who Hunted Men and Turkeys and Deer and other stuff.
1: Long time. And
0: I am your co-host, and the guy who, despite having morning voice, is pretty darn fired up.
1: And I'm your co-host, who's also fired up, but who has provided his public comment to TWRA on the proposed deer and turkey management practices.
0: So, what did you tell them? That they needed to open the season up for turkeys, make it year-round, and Unlimited harvest and multiple turkeys each day. Shoot all the jakes you can and especially bearded hens.
1: Yes. I uh, said, so, well, only for people with my social security number.
0: Oh, and okay.
1: Outside of that, very restrictive. No season for turkeys. They can kill all the deer they want. That was what <laughs> I came up with. First. But, <laughs> no. So TWRA has, they are doing public meetings, just like South Carolina did. Very cool. You know We had Jay on a couple, I guess a month or two ago now, and talked about that. But TWRA is doing the same thing. They're going, they had a West Tennessee, Middle Tennessee, East Tennessee. I think they're having four meetings. Public are invited to join and watch. And they're presenting how they're planning on, in the future, doing our deer and turkey management so Mm -hmm. luckily they talked about turkeys first so i didn't have to skip through all the deer stuff but (laughs) if you are a deer hunter you can watch that too it's interesting i'm sure i didn't watch any of it but as far as turkey management i was very interested so i watched it you can watch it on youtube if you go to tennessee wildlife resources agency their page it's called middle tn deer and turkey management public Meeting and watch that and then you can submit your your comments you definitely want to watch it before you submit your comments but that you'll have to find the link uh, it's it's in that the description below the video if you go to the if you watch that video yeah there's a link in there to take the survey in the cool. description yeah so take that it's pretty interesting they basically have they're gonna potentially divide the state into turkey management zones and deer management zones and then planning like with turkeys there's five west midwest central northeast and southeast and Mm. that way they can manage on a smaller scale you know if we have mississippi river flooding and There's not as many turkeys in the west quadrant. They can reduce season dates or bag limit in just that section in case the mountain turkeys are booming, you know. Yeah. And I think that's a good management practice. I think the smaller you can go on that, the better, you know, to an extent.
0: You can't manage every county differently, obviously. But Yeah, until you hotspot certain areas (laughs) by saying, well, the other – how many management areas or zones did you say they were looking at six yes so and and when you limit the other five and one still open yeah you know for a week longer than the other five then you've hot spotted it so that's the only downside i could see to that but i i interrupted so go
1: northeast zone has a four bird limit and six week season and the west zone has a one week season and one bird limit where 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 are you gonna go (laughs) bingo but anyway, I overall for I guess resident hunters it would help. Granted, you're gonna have people spilling over into other zones and stuff too at that point. But it it was a, it's an interesting concept. I guess you got to watch the video. It's interesting. They had focus groups and like it was just very interesting. So they're basically they're gonna have three hunting packages is what they called them. One is like doomsday type turkeys are on a massive decline there's no you know we're really struggling what would be acceptable to hunters to still have an open season and it's like 3 week season with a one bird limit or something and then hmm. then they have like a medium one that's like two birds in four or five weeks and then they have like the if we're doing really well we have lots of turkeys three birds in six weeks and so they're kind of having these like packages and they're going to use data from the turkeys that they're monitoring in turkey populations in each zone to determine in the next year season which should be implemented is is how i took it i may may have butchered that but that's pretty much what i got out of it okay so it's an interesting concept i do like the idea of because i've always thought it would be nice to go with what's going on with turkeys, you know, hey, they had a horrible hatch. Let's take it easy on them next year. Hey, we had 15 pults per hen. We can we can kill a few, you know. <laughs> yeah. So it it's a I think overall it'll be a net positive. They did bring up fall seasons and stuff. I made sure to comment on that that it would be absolutely idiotic to cancel the fall season, and I'll stand by that forever, because a fall gobbler-only season, if your true intent is to help turkey populations, cancel spring, because the fall gobbler-only seasons has me- much less impact.
0: <laughs> it, it absolutely does. I mean, you take all that human, I'm going to call interaction, but really what it is is interruption, and foot traffic out of the woods in the spring when the turkeys are breeding and you're going to have a lot better nest success yeah and a, a lot higher pulp per hen ratio i believe but yeah. what and, do I mean? Neither
1: of us are advocating for that but it's just like my no. point right there is like why are you why are we looking at canceling the thing where we kill less than a thousand birds in the fall outside of breeding season, you know, so that we can kill more in the spring (laughs) Yeah. That's a little bit backwards in my mind. But I said, if if you want to limit the fall harvest, make people buy a turkey hunting permit or only be able to shoot them with a gun. Uh, I would be willing to bet most of the fall harvest is archery deer hunters opportunistically taking a gobbler. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know anybody besides myself that actually goes and gets a shotgun and goes to the woods to find turkeys, you know, in the fall. I don't know anybody else around here.
0: Yeah.
1: So if you if you limit it to people only doing that, you're going to reduce the harvest massively. Anyway, I don't think they should do anything with the fall season was my bottom line. It's good where it is, and that, that's just crazy to get rid of that. But there's other things. They talk about jakes and whatnot, so it it's good. Go watch the video. It explains their thought process and then gives you, the hunter resident, hopefully, or non-resident, I don't know if it matters, the opportunity to voice your opinion to these people on what you think. So Get on there and do that. Anytime we have the opportunity to do that, I think it's good to do that.
0: Yes, indeed. Yeah. What are you
1: fired up about? I have a good feeling I know what it is.
0: Well, we've been doing some work, you and I have. and. Been- We've enlisted some some other people to help us do this work as well. So, you know, the listeners know that we I'm going to say we took a little time off during the summer, but we've been working on some things that I'm excited about. One of them is a little bit of a rebrand. So we're going to have some new show art or I guess I should say cover art for the show. and logo yes as still well. in the
1: works not final yet but
0: very close and not only is it very close but it is i gotta say <laughs> it, it's it's what we wanted or That's moving in that direction it's it's really cool i'm i'm gonna go out on a limb and say it's probably the coolest hunting logo that i've seen
1: it's pretty cool and we enlisted the right guy and we'll have to bring him up once we yes get it finalized. I don't want to I don't want to yeah. talk too much about it before it's done, but it's we got a really cool logo coming that hopefully you guys will see soon on the show and and we just felt like we needed to do that. We've never had a logo of any sort, so we wanted to do that and we think it's going to turn out I know it's going to turn out awesome because I've seen pretty much what the final's gonna look like. We're just getting very nitpicky at this point on certain things. So
0: well yes. But we do want it to be the best. Oh and yeah. So that's why we're being so picky. But yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. I'm fired up about that. I mean like super fired up about that. You know the we've had the same cover art for the show for almost 10 years now because that's how old the show is
1: yeah 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 it's and never, never changes. which is yeah. neat you know
3: your
0: oh, choice yeah.
1: of cover art is like the morning scene with you know i could just see myself sitting by the tree type thing it, it has nothing to do with turkeys really it's more of like just that morning wake up scene as if you're sitting on the tree
0: yeah yeah no doubt and you know At one point, I attempted to change it and did a little thing on social media. You know, which one do you like best? This one or this one, this one or this one, this one or this one. And I took the one that won out of that little competition and put it up against the current one. And people were like, no, don't (laughs) change it. (laughs) We like this. So, of course, I liked it, too. But we are going to be doing some things with that we'll have some turkey hunter podcast swag (laughs) that we will be offering to you guys for purchase and we also have created a Patreon account and that's something that I've kind of been Hesitant to do all these years, you know, it it just, to me, it was kind of like GoFundMe. Yeah. And people, you know, saying, hey, I am, I want to buy a new paper airplane kit, but I don't have the funds to do it. So I started this GoFundMe account. (laughs) And don't get me wrong, you know, GoFundMe has... A lot of good uses yeah but i just have not been real crazy about that so anyway we decided that we were we were going to do that you know Cameron and I we put a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of effort into putting this show out and I'm not going to say we're never going to have a sponsor because I truly anticipate we're going to have sponsors and I think it will be a springtime only thing is what we've decided to do as far as sponsorships go, just because of the seasonality.
1: Plus that frees our hands up a little bit in the off season, you know, but yes, it is. We've always avoided the sponsor route because we like to be able to get whoever, whenever we'd like as a guest. And I think that's been a positive for our show over these years because we find and can interview anybody without stepping on toes, you know? Yeah. Cause yeah. that's just kind of how anything with the, with any kind of industry is going to work, you know, if you're with so-and-so and they're sponsoring your show, then you probably can't go interview so-and-so cause they compete. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> and rightfully so, but that's just kind of how it is. So we've avoided that.
0: That's exactly right. So
1: we've done the Patreon, we're doing the logo and In my mind, the biggest announcement is yet to come. We've got, I'm like, I'm like over here smiling. I'm so excited. We have got a hunt, wild Rio Grande gobbler hunt that we are going to raffle. And this raffle is going to go from right now. You can go start it up right now for the next 80 or so days. And let me tell you why you want to come on this hunt. A, you get to go turkey hunting, right? End the story on A. B, you and me and Andy and someone else are going to get to go hunt before Hawaii opens, before South Florida opens. How, you may ask, how can we pull this sorcery? We have (laughs) have booked a gobbler hunt Or February, is
0: it 21st? Yes, we'll be hunting. We'll be arriving on the 20th, hunting the 21st, the 22nd, and the morning of the 23rd.
1: Yeah, it's two and a half days with a two gobbler limit per person. And yeah, two and a half days last week of February. February, I say. And this isn't in Utah where Andy and I went and got snowed on. (laughs) Nope. This is going to be a springtime turkey hunt. I mean, it's in as far south Texas as you can go without crossing into Mexico. So you're looking at down south of Falfurius, Texas. We'll be flying into Corpus Christi, driving to Encino, Texas. And we will be hunting with El Mapache Blanco, I believe is how it's pronounced. You got it. El Mapache Blanco Ranch with Kyle Pattinson on a what is technically a late winter turkey hunt. But these turkeys are going to be ready in South Texas the last week of February, I can tell you. Yes. So, not to, we cannot guarantee results. As everyone in my industry of finance will say, history does not guarantee future results. But, Kyle's been 100% for seven years on these hunts, so it's gone okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's and, gone pretty okay.
1: And our buddy Jeff Buds, who we've had on the show multiple times, the, the slam king himself, certified turkey killer, He his experience was he arrived at 11.30 p.m. to the ranch because he went with this guy, and the next day he was headed home at 10.30 a.m. with his two gobblers. So that's pretty good.
0: (laughs) And those are not the kind of results that we're saying we're going to have.
1: I'm just giving you historical perspective with no guarantee of future results.
0: What I will guarantee is this. If you buy raffle tickets and your name is drawn and all of that's going to happen electronically, we're going to tell you how in just a moment, you will get food lodging once you arrive at the ranch for those days that's the 21st the 22nd and the morning of the 23rd and you will have a good time because cameron and i are going to make sure of that
1: yeah and so we will be there so again it's going to be the two of us that are talking to you right now and two more guests And so we're raffling off two opportunities to join us. It's going to be a four-person hunt. Yeah. And on those dates, and two gobblers per person, as you said, lodging, food, everything's included. You will have to cover your license and airfare. But Corpus Christi flights are actually not bad at all. Yeah. And we probably, you know, unless we're all getting there at different times, we'll probably coordinate to all just ride together. But if that doesn't work, then you may have to cover an Uber or whatever. But overall, it's going to be a blast. You're going to get to go turkey hunt for Rios before anyone else in the country. Even the youth, I think. I think the youth in Florida start the, the day after we get done.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're right. So,
1: so you, we have the potential to kill the first turkeys of spring, in my mind, that last week of February. And... I'm super excited about it. And just so you know, for your raffle ticket purchase, the proceeds, Andy and I've always felt like we've supported all of our nonprofits that support turkeys. And we've done that by giving them a lot of publicity on the show, usually giving time slots, you know, weeks of. Information to hear what they've been doing and promoting them. Have always encouraged our members to join and be a part of these organizations. But we want to make a donation. So we want to send some money, cold hard cash, to Turkeys for Tomorrow and the National Wild Turkey Federation. So we're going to send it to both. That that is what this raffle is going to do. We're going to send money to these organizations once the raffle's concluded. So you can feel really good about your raffle ticket purchase in that you know it's going to support wild turkey research, brood habitat with the NWTF now, and supporting the wild turkey while giving you the chance to come hunt Rio Grande gobblers the last week of February.
0: Yeah. Yeah, both of those organizations are doing so much right now to lift up the wild turkey and to make sure that they don't go the way of the of the bob white quail and we feel like today even more so than a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago today is the time to step up what we're doing for those organizations or have done i should say for those organizations because there is so much critical research being done right now. And you know, it's now's the time to to really push and support those conservation organizations and we can support them by donating time and or money. And you know, Cameron and I donate time on this show to promote them just like you said. And this is just another way for us to make sure that we're doing our part on the money side as well. And you know, he and I both are members of those of both of those organizations. Cameron's working to open the first chapter or I guess has opened the first chapter in West Tennessee for Turkeys for Tomorrow. And you know, so It's not like we're saying, hey, we just want to use your money to give to these organizations. But it's a great opportunity to for all of us to support those organizations at this critical time. And why not go hunt (laughs) and have an opportunity to harvest two toms at a time of year when you know it's not going to interfere with any of your other turkey hunting trips. Yeah.
1: I mean, this is a very unique offering because, I, I mean, I, when I, like, found out we could do this, I was like, whoa, we, <laughs> how do we do that, you know? Yeah. It, and, I mean, I, I'm fired up about it. I'm excited on multiple fronts. A, I'm getting to hunt earlier for spring turkeys than I ever have. And B, we're gonna get to hopefully, if our listeners will get involved with us, raise some money for two great organizations. And you know, if we make this, uh, if this goes well, we start doing this more often. You know, every year or so, and and a third turkey organization comes up, we'll split it three ways. You know,
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: So we've always been anybody's well, helping turkeys, we're in. So that's what we're gonna do.
0: There's and, one other little perk for this hunt too that you haven't mentioned
1: oh uh, i'm ready to hear it what, what we got
0: Oh, uh, don't don't tell me that you don't know what the perk is I, i'm i believe there's going to be birthday cake yeah soon. so
1: my birthday is on february 22nd the <laughs> second day of our hunt and that would be a life dream that you get to celebrate with me and that is being on a goblin turkey on my birthday.
0: That'd be pretty cool.
1: And if I squeeze the trigger on a turkey on my birthday, that will be neat. That will be something. So yes. We will also have birthday cake to celebrate our eight gobblers that we have killed in two days, hopefully.
0: <laughs> uh-huh.
1: <laughs> Not to talk um, it up again. History's no, no predictor of the future, but
0: Yeah. But hey. And maybe birthday bourbon, but not the real birthday bourbon, just bourbon served on a birthday. There
1: you go. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, so that'll be that's kind of really a cool part of why we picked the dates. It also lined up well because the later in February the better I we figured for making sure the turkeys were ready to roll. And I mean from my talks with Kyle, he said they start getting the goblin by late January. Which I believe. And, yeah. And like you'll hear in this week's show, some people have great
0: success in February. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, you're right. They do, I guess. But <laughs> before we get into that, let's let's tell everybody how they can pick up their raffle tickets.
1: Yeah. So I'll go through a couple options today. Hopefully, by the time you hear this show, if you follow me on Instagram, Cameron Weddington, I'm going to put the link to the raffle in my biography on Instagram. So, if you just go to my page, you'll see the link there. So, you can click there and, and enter the raffle there. I'll do a post also promoting it. And we also have plans to put on Facebook, on the Turkey Hunter Podcast Facebook page. And that is... I. Is it I Am Turkey Hunting? Yes. So the I Am Turkey Hunting has a picture of Andy, a bearded Andy with a gobbler on it, and the Turkey Hunter podcast in the background. That page will also have the link on there. So if you're on Facebook or Instagram, you can find it that way. We will also put the link to this raffle in the show description, Mm -hmm. and you can click it there. So that's also an availability. Or do you want to give them, if if someone can't do any of those three and you just want to type in the link yourself, can you give us the link?
0: Yes, it is tinyurl, that's t-i-n-y-u-r-l dot com slash five five h as in Harold, e as in Edward, e as in Edward, u as in, Edward, u as in Underwear? Why not? 9-9. Nine, nine. That's tinyurl.com slash 55 H-E-E-U 9-9. Perfect.
1: Yeah, and so we have different ticket options for you there. You can buy one for $10, three for $25. Essentially, the more tickets you buy, the bigger discount you're going to get per ticket. And Keep in mind, this is for an opportunity at one of two hunting slots. It's not just a one of one. So you have two two chances of the win. And we yeah. will do the drawing, is it January 15th?
0: January the 15th.
1: Okay, so we'll do the drawing on January 15th of 2024, which, you know, sounds like it's a long ways out, but that's not that far. No. I mean, we are we're not far from the new year, so... Go in there, get some raffle tickets, support these awesome organizations we've named and get yourself a chance to be one of the lucky four individuals who will be hunting gobblers the last week of February in South, South Texas, down by Mexico, hunting Rio Grande turkeys.
0: Yes, it'll be a good Mm. time. And we, we hope to see you there.
1: Yes, absolutely, in 117 days, 21 hours, and 57 minutes. (laughs) How about that? Not that anyone's counting.
0: No, not that anybody's excited just yet. Mm -hmm.
1: That sounds way better than my other countdown for the home state, 169 days. Yeah. That's a a pretty good difference, 117 to 169.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it is. Almost two full months. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So So, we're going to have a good time on that trip. We're gonna do some hunting. There's gonna be a lot of laughs shared, I'm sure. Yeah. Just what we won't get into is having to mess with the game warden. <laughs> we think. <laughs> no, we won't. <laughs> we won't. So
1: You never know who whoever wins it could be Bob Thomas.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you might be right. i guess a game warden could hunt with us so yeah you're right but the good thing is they won't it won't matter
1: they they can hunt with us all they want but they're not gonna find anything
0: (laughs) yeah we won't be shooting any out of season we won't be shooting any off the roost we won't be shooting any turkeys illegally like our guest today watched people do and videoed people do and recorded people doing for years and literally years did it all undercover to try deep. to bust poaching rings
1: yeah deep undercover not yeah this wasn't a little weekend where he just went and, you know hung out with these guys like this guy lived and breathed and was an in, integrated part of this community yeah and it's a crazy like thing to think about for wildlife violations like the steps they went to to catch these guys but man did it work out and like when you hear what they were doing to local populations and of turkeys and deer and stuff you see why it was such an egregious act i mean it was a it was a real problem i assume in those communities yeah so we have rt stewart he is on he he goes by many names but his real name we think is R.T. Stewart, (laughs) and he, him and Chip Gross have written a book. So the book is about R.T. Stewart, and Chip Gross, I believe, actually wrote the book, and it is called Poachers Were My Prey, and it's a great book. I highly recommend getting that from Chip. You may recognize that name if you're a literature collector like myself, He has written a a turkey book called Home at Last is the Hunter, Chip Gross has. And we'll hopefully have him on in the future to talk about that book as well. But this one is not just turkey specific. There's a lot of turkey stuff in there, but it's about deer, ducks, fishing, all kind of, like, everything. R.T. Stewart went undercover into all kind of different fields. Coon hunting, I mean, anything people were doing with wildlife violations, he was able to infiltrate and chameleon himself into there and get involved and and see what was happening.
0: And he didn't just do that. I mean, he didn't just infiltrate and bring those rings down. Really. He pioneered this program in the state of Ohio. And, and if I'm not mistaken in that region of the country, the Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Indiana, you know, that, that upper Midwest region. And it's just, you know, he's doing things that that department has no experience with. And it's all groundbreaking. I mean, it's just fascinating when you, when you think about the danger of these, of, of what he's doing and there's no protocol yeah you know it's it just that to me is extremely fascinating and you know adds a a different kind of twist to this whole story so yeah it's an incredible
1: story and
0: let's get in it
1: yeah we're splitting it into two parts because it we we talked to rt for a long time and i could have talked to him for a lot longer but yeah it Y'all just get ready. This is a really neat story about Operation Redbud, the the largest wild turkey poaching ring in the history of our country that was busted in the 90s.
0: Let's do it. Let's jump in and listen to the first half of the interview with RT, and we'll see you guys on the other side.
1: Hey, everybody. We've got RT Stewart on the phone with us tonight. And R.T. goes by many names, sometimes Bob Tompkins, sometimes Bill, but tonight he's R.T. Stewart, and he is the main character of the stories told in the book Poachers Were My Prey by Chip Gross. And tonight we're going to mostly talk about one of his big operations he did. I believe it was your second undercover operation called Operation Redbud. It's a story of a group of poachers that R.T. infiltrated and went undercover, and not just for a little bit of time. We're talking a, a long undercover mission to bust these guys, and we just thought it was a very intriguing story, and it's an awesome book. If you guys haven't read Poachers Were My Prey by Chip Gross, and it is, it is well worth the read, so go pick up a copy of that. I just finished reading it myself a couple nights ago, so... Really cool book. Got a lot of stories of deer poachers and ducks and all kinds of stories that R.T. encountered during his time as a wildlife officer. But how are you tonight, R.T.? I'm doing
2: fine. Thank you for asking. Yes, sir. Where are you in West Virginia? Is that right? No, I'm actually in the southeast part of Ohio, which is about seven, eight miles from uh, West Virginia. Okay. Okay. That's right. If I got to right. go to town to get anything of any value. It's got to be West Virginia.
1: Okay, so you're right there on the line, yep. and you served with the Ohio Fish and Wildlife, right? That's correct. Okay, but you did do some missions over there across the line, didn't you, in, in West Virginia?
2: I did missions in West Virginia and a few other states, and then I went up into Newfoundland, a couple of times, oh. or Canada, a couple of times.
3: Wow.
1: Wow, yeah so you were quite the chameleon I guess in the poaching world from what I can gather cuz you were able to go do fishing stuff, deer hunting stuff, duck hunting stuff with wealthy duck hunters, turkey hunting stuff. So I assume you were quite the outdoorsman outside of your job. I assume you love to hunt and fish and, cuz I mean in you order
2: know, I was born to be in the south, southeastern Ohio, and then And my parents fished and hunted, and my dad was a big, avid hunter, and he owned a gun shop for 46 years. I grew up around all that, knew how to to handle my firearms, and and, uh, shot in competition, and uh, I was an avid turkey hunter, waterfowl, coon hunting, catfish, bass fish, you name it, I hunted. If it flied, walked or crawled, I was after
3: it. There you
1: go. I like it. I feel like that's how I am, too. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, and it it helped me tremendously to have that experience and the wood sense and the wood experience in my positions. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I didn't have much experience in was up on Lake Erie. So uh, when I went up there and done projects on Lake Erie, I did that telling them I had no experience up there. I wasn't trying to kid nobody, so I how it worked. worked out yeah. there for them. Well, and you what-
1: said... But being in these poaching gangs, a lot of times you would actually kind of play like you you weren't as experienced I guess as you were to, kind of to stroke these poachers' egos so that they felt like they were teaching you things.
2: That, yes, I, I discovered early on that I think these guys had a mentality that they were the best, therefore I didn't want to create competition. I wanted to make them feel that they were the best and I can learn something some something from them. Yeah. Even though I might have known more, but I had to let on like I didn't.
0: Yeah. That's smart. Do you feel like some of them were the best or were really, really close to being the best? Is probably a better way of of asking that. Uh, Some of these
2: guys were, some of these people in my, Run in. They were good at what they did. They were they were very good. They, they, if it hadn't been lawbreakers, they would you know they were good uh, at what they did. Yeah. They good were having, uh, woodsman. Outdoorsman had a lot of good wood sense. And yeah. And I could tell that right off the bat, you know, whether the guy knew what he was doing or not. And some of them were just you know they just played through it and didn't have no wood sense at all. But there was a couple of guys that they were pretty sharp.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So, I guess, let's walk through this. So,
1: the Ohio, was Ohio the first state to implement undercover wildlife officers? Because when you did this, it was pretty new, wasn't it?
2: Oh, yeah, we were. <laughs> Ohio really wasn't one of the first, but we become so successful that we became one of the leaders in covert operations and put on schools for other states.
1: Okay, well. Hmm
2: and and when we started it was uh it was primarily just you know turn you loose so didn't we had no training we had no uh nothing we had nothing you just had to go by the seat of your pants and be able to make it happen just and that was the way we did it that's the way I operated just make it happen so did they coaches approach- they created the environment I just needed to fit into it
3: yeah mm-hmm
1: so they approached, were you already a wildlife officer before they approached you about doing undercover work?
2: Yeah, I had, I had dabbled in undercover work with uh, the High Department of Liquor Control when then I worked as a, an undercover officer. I wasn't a commissioned officer, but I worked with the uh, Athens County Sheriff Department and Prosecuting Office in Drugs. Mm. Then when I went to work for the Division of Wildlife, I, I liked that and after about two years in uniform you know I I felt that I think I could do more for this outfit than just not saying it's wrong and not saying it shouldn't be done but I felt I could do a better job of catching hardcore people versus catching people that's fishing without a
3: license Mm, and
2: I had had drawn up some information and some game plans and some things of that nature and presented it to a couple of my supervisors and going up the ladder they presented it to them and and next thing I know they was approaching me about doing some undercover work so finally we got the approval and I think in 1990 I think in 1991 I'm not sure of the years now but in 1991 that 91 that's when they sent me undercover he mm. got me a truck and uh rest was on mine own, <laughs> brown air. yeah and You were married
1: and had, you had children at the time, right? Yes, yes I was. Married and had three
2: children, actually, living at home, yep.
1: Yeah, and so, like, when you would do these undercover operations, I mean, you moved into the area in which the poaching gang was operating in order to infiltrate it. Like, you became a member of the community there,
2: right? That'd be correct. Uh, Wherever the, we had uh, uh, intelligence. That, they, that some of our agents gathered over the years on different individuals in different counties, and kind of have found their hangouts and so forth and so on. And uh, I would go in there and kind of hang out, and I'd find a place or rent a place there, somewhat nearby but not, you know, not next door. But eventually, a couple of places I was next door. But when we started out, we'd, we'd buy a place or not buy it, but rent a place, and and that's where I'd stay until the end of the project. Wow. I think the shortest one was, I'm gonna say the shortest one was probably 14 or 15 months, and the longest one was about four years. Wow. Yeah.
1: And I mean, how frequently would you get to come home to see your family, just like a
2: that weekend? That was. That was, no. that was a no. bad thing. I, I, obviously, I try to get, I try to like to come home. And when I first get started, I probably would come home because I hadn't really found a place, you know. But once they got settled in it's hard to get away so it was difficult it may be you know it i don't know it'd probably be two or three months if i could get home in wow i mean and that's then a, it i got to where i didn't want to come home
1: yeah yeah i uh, think i read about that because and i could see it you know hearing your stories i mean you're you lived in the woods your life was bachelor you yeah. know out yep. chasing wildlife and going spotlighting deer and just
2: living in the woods it sounds when i was young it was it was fun it was interesting it was an adrenaline rush you lived on adrenaline the whole time yeah Uh, but then as i got older it it wasn't near as fun and your health kind of takes a toll on you and it just gets uh i don't know my boss always said that I like to rat hole in once I get into a place. I like to rat hole in. They always made me quit. It's time to get you out of there. <laughs> I'd, I'd get comfortable and, you know, I didn't want to quit. Hey, we need to shut this down next month. No, we need to go a couple more months. <laughs> yeah. It was difficult to come home sometime because you had to go back into reality. You had, you know, the reality. You had deals. You had, you know, just the reality of home. Well, when you're, Working undercover, you don't think about those kind of things. You're thinking about, you know, what we're we doing tonight, what we're we doing tomorrow, and you know, how are we doing this? And game plans. And then when you come home, it's reality, and you go, Uh, ah, I don't like this reality. I'm going back." So, yeah, it, it, it can play on a family. That's for certain.
0: Yeah, uh, I I would imagine it it was just a lot like living in a movie for a period of time. You know, you you're playing this other character who's not you mm-hmm. to build trust and you know you're dealing with with these other i guess you know for lack of a better term actors even though they're bad actors like bad and not a, a good character sense and yeah, you know, there has to be something that's kind of appealing to that
2: there there is uh it, it's even more appealing if you like the person or persons. If you mm-hmm. don't like them, it makes it more difficult. Yeah, and you know, sometimes you, you know, you go hunting with them or whatever it may be, but you're really not enjoying yourself because you are trying to maintain what they what laws they're breaking, and you can't really socialize with them in a manner that you would if you grew up with your childhood friend. So mm-hmm. uh, it's not all fun and games as it may may sound. Yeah. Is it a rush? Absolutely a rush. But it's not, if you're with a bunch of bad guys and you, you despise their guts, it's hard to be, make call it enjoyable.
1: Sure. Yeah. Which, from the sound of it, most of the people you worked on that you were undercover with, you disliked, it seemed like, other than you openly talked about Claude and yep. how he, you liked him. Like, he was a I, good I liked, dude. I liked
2: I like Claude very well. There was a movie I saw, I I don't recall, Charlie Sheen played in it as a motorcycle undercover guy. And he was at the point to where he was about ready to warn his guy that he was trying to catch. And there was many times that I that went through my head. I I need to warn him. But Mm -hmm. then I think about, well, I took an oath. And Mm -hmm. the only reason why I'm here is because he put me here but yeah him and I were good friends. i I like to think that we were we were buddies. We were friends,
3: yeah,
1: well, so let's back up a little bit. I guess you did your first mission, and then mission number two or operation was Operation Redbud, which was yeah. I guess the tip y'all got is that there was kind of a group of guys who were massively poaching wild turkeys. Is that correct? That's correct. Mm-hmm. And that so. Good when did they send you like how how many tips do they have to get before they're like alright let's send RT in and see what's going on
2: well after we established a full time covert unit in 1995 they set up a set of policies and procedures and, and a format on how to get an undercover agent in your county and uh, prior to that all we had was what they called a, a 45 that was basically just a Receiving complaints from the public and the, the officer or the agent in that county would fill out this form, which is a violation form, but it was basically this intelligence gathering. And once they got enough of them and started to put together those, they would send me in and do an investigation to determine whether the violations are being committed. If they are being committed, what, what's their, what's their uh, primary goals and what's their, vehicles, hangouts, uh, how they're doing it, things of that nature, and then was, sometime we went in and found out uh, the information was, they weren't doing what we thought they were doing, so, mm. after about three months, I would come back and say, yeah, we got some good guys, we got some, we got some guys that's shooting a lot of stuff, so then we <laughs> decided to make a full-time undercover unit, or, or undercover operation on it. Wow. My particular job was deep undercover, it wasn't, you know, just a weekend thing, it was Ours was deep undercover.
1: Yeah, I mean deep. And so with Red Bud, they sent you in. I guess they had enough tips, so they sent you in. And there was a, it was like a particular tavern or bar that was kind of the main hangout of the group.
2: Yep, that was the, that was the information we had. And one of the bar managers, or uh, yeah, I think he was a manager. He was one of he was our number two suspect and that's Claude, right that was Claude. and the uh so when i first went down there and this was in morgan county they had a lot of i think it's called it was public hunting but it was owned by a power company but i can't they haven't had a name for it but i can't think of anyhow i would uh had an old beat up van and that's what i would stay in uh, while i was doing my initial investigation and not camp out there on that stay in that van and on that public land and so forth and so on, and then I'd stop in there in the bar, and that's where I met Claude.
3: Okay.
1: And you had, the story was you had met or called a guy about buying an implement or something in the area just to try to make a contact?
2: Yep, yeah, that was one of my techniques. I would always try to contact somebody or go to yard sales or whatever it may be, because uh, if you show up on a guy's front porch, knock on a door, and you're a total stranger, he's going to be leery, especially if he's a truck or an outlaw, mm-hmm. but if you show up on that same man's porch and you use a name that he na-
3: he knows that told him to come to see you, he's more open to you. Mm-hmm.
2: So this particular day, I called this guy in that area about some farm equipment. I don't remember exactly what it was now, but he said he was not going to be available. And I said, well, it's okay. I said, I'm going to be down there turkey hunting and so forth and so on. So I went into that bar that afternoon. Doggone, if that guy wasn't in there, he kind of vouched he basically helped my credibility because he said, "You guy I talked to today about the equipment," and I said, "Yeah," and I said, "I thought you said you was gonna be busy, and here you are drinking beer." So he kind of vouched <laughs> for me. He said, "Yeah, I remember talking. You're from Marysville," and I said, "Yeah, yeah." So
1: well, because that so came it. up because the so you were at one point a professor or something, a teacher.
2: Right. Yeah, I used to, I used to be an instructor at Hawking Technical College, and apparently one of my students recognized me, and I went, oh, <laughs> boy. Um,
1: your first contact with Claude, right? Like, he was sitting first, right there.
2: First day, first day. Claude was bartending in the, after, in the daytime, and this guy come in and took over on the afternoon shift. <laughs> and as soon as he came in there, he said, uh, I know you. I'd already been talking to Claude and so forth, and Claude was still running around there.
1: And you told and him your
2: name was up, your name uh, was Bob Tompkins, right? I was going with Bob Thomas. Bob Thomas, that's right. Yeah, but this guy called me uh, R.T. Stewart, Big Turkey Hunter. <laughs> but he, uh, I said, uh, did he have a lot of money? And he goes, I don't know. I said, well, if he did, it ain't me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and that's when this other guy, when I said my name, Bob Thomas, this other guy that I called earlier in the day, that's when he spoke up. So I think I talked to you. You're from Maryville, you know, and so it kind of took the... It helped me tremendously, I'll tell you that.
1: Yeah. Well, because you said that later you found out that dude, like, continuously, like, was having conversations with Claude saying, I know that's R.T. Stewart. Like, that... Yeah. <laughs> like he kept trying to bust you out.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. And uh, apparently I was able to convince Claude that I'm not who he thought I was. So... <laughs> That's crazy. But, wow. Uh, Bob even admits, um, uh, that he should have took his somebody he knew and grew up with he should've took their advice. But uh I must have been
1: Pretty convincing
2: uh, confidence enough to prove to him that I wasn't who his buddy thought I was. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's, that's crazy.
1: crazy. Yeah, yeah, what are the odds of the first day some guy you know actually walks into the bar?
2: <laughs> uh yeah, that yeah, I thought, Oh man, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> and but I was afraid of that because I knew I had taught at Hawking college and there was a lot of guys that was from all around. And I knew there was a lot of guys that was in there that was from over in that what neck of the woods. So was that a concern before I went? Yeah, but I didn't know it was going to be the first day.
1: Yeah. Right. When you're contacting Claude. And yeah. So you meet him at the bar, y'all kind of chatted up and like, how did, how did you grow the relationship to where he, was comfortable hunting with you?
2: Well, when I was sitting there, the bar was, and it was in the after, early afternoon. There wasn't very many people in there, and I was coming in there sitting at the end of the bar and had a, I think I had a camouflage shirt on and a camouflage hat on with a turkey on it. And he ordered a beer, and he brought it in. He said, you, uh, you, you down here scouting for turkeys? And I said, yeah. And we got into different conversations. And, and I'd also had a lot of turkey beards and tails and different things in my truck for props. Yeah. And eventually I got to show him some of them and he thought I was a poacher same as he was.
1: So. Uh, okay. So you, they looked like they were fresh, like you had just killed them.
2: Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And this was out and, of season? The uh, so week after that, uh, you know, we went out to the van and took a look at them and showed him to him, you know, and I was very discreet showing them to him and Told him I was hunting out here on the power company and, uh, these are some of the birds I've killed. And he, you know, so like two days later, he asked me or he told me to come back in a couple of days. And we'll go turkey hunting. Well, went back with pouring the rain down. So we didn't get to go. So I come back the next day and we went out. I don't recall whether we killed a turkey that. Oh, that was, yeah, that was the day that I that was the only turkey I ever killed illegal. <laughs> we, had, we were driving down the road. Turned down this country road, and there was a bunch of turkeys on the driver's side. Well, by the time we got to them, he, they'd done crossed on my side. So he gave he handed me the gun. He said, shoot one. So I aimed off of them, but the overspray got one in the background, and uh, so I just jumped out of the truck like I knew what I was doing and run out and grabbed the through the truck down the road we went. And Ooh, I was in wow. like Flint.
1: <laughs> yeah, you built a lot of credibility, I guess, with that.
2: Yep, yep. Out of that whole operation that was the only turkey that was ever killed by me or anybody else involved in that operation that was killed illegally. And was it was it turkey season? No. So like, when was this? Like
1: February, March?
2: Yeah, it was probably it might have been I know it was not season, but it could have been it may have been up in early April, I'm not sure.
1: But it was so in one conversation with this guy at the bar, you he invited you to turkey hunt 2 days later out of season and and you were in. Yep. That's pretty good. I feel yep. like that I, I feel like if you're going undercover and you achieve that on day 1, you're probably feeling pretty good.
2: I was feeling like I had just conquered the world. <laughs> you know, but, I, but I felt bad knowing that I had to do, shoot that turkey. But sometimes you have to do some uh, things of that nature to build credibility.
1: Yeah, I mean, that I, I would assume that that's the ultimate credibility builder, like, you yeah. illegally shot a turkey right in front of his eyes, you know?
2: <laughs> right. Yep, that's exactly right. And, then, uh, and he was our number two guy, and it took me I think 11 months to meet the number one guy. Wow. wow. Um, and
1: it was more than just turkeys, right? I mean, it was a lot of stories with this group of guys. Y'all started
2: shooting deer at night, and Yep. I mean, shooting deer at night, uh, shooting multiple deer during gun, during deer season. And the, oh yeah, yeah, I forgot about. It. Yeah, I it was, uh, we, we were shooting multiple deer at nighttime and 99% of them were all nice bucks.
1: Wow. Well, wow. just yep. on whoever's farm.
2: Whoever, <laughs> if it was standing, if it, if we could see it, it didn't matter if it was somebody's farm in their yard, along the highway, <laughs> if it was a buck, you would be getting shot at.
0: Oh my gosh! Yeah. So what? What was the purpose of all of this? Was there was this being done for profit? Was there meat being sold? Was there was it just for kicks? It was for the, on this particular group. It was just kicks. Wow.
2: Yep. I, and the number oh, one guy, like... I think, was more for the, for pure for his to maintain his status in the community.
1: Huh? Of oh, poachers.
2: Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. So he had kind of a pride thing in it. He was.
2: Yeah, and and he he the, the number well Claude was a was an excellent turkey hunter. He had great wood sense, and the other guy did too. And he uh you know most of the people didn't know they was killing them illegally because they didn't express you know didn't show too many of them out in public till season mm-hmm. come in, and that's when they really bragged about the turkey. Yeah. So they had to maintain their status i think in the community as a you know the great white hunter
1: yeah as far as illegally turkey hunting i mean what were they mostly doing hunting out of season like before turkey season came in was that the main thing
2: they would do with claude we hunted a couple we hunted turkeys during season also but with the number one guy well he never turkey hunted in season we did (laughs) everything from from february till turkey season come in when turkey season come in he uh he quit turkey hunting
1: (laughs) too many people
2: yep Yep. wow
1: (laughs) so his his turkey season he just did a month and a half (laughs)
2: before turkey season yeah exactly that's exactly right we started turkey hunting i met him he was 11 months and claude took me up and introduced him to me or introduced me to him and the next day i think he told me he said you come up and we'll go turkey hunting so we did And that's how we got started. And uh, when we walked out in the woods, he he done an owl hoot with his mouth, and uh, I was literally impressed. Yeah. With with him being able to owl hoot as well as what he did. And then we'd go get one gobbling and go working just like we would. If we and another thing is we would if we heard one gobbling or seen a bunch of them, we'd go break them up Mm -hmm. and sit down and start calling them back to us yeah I mean, in February they're still in winter flocks, I guess yep, yep, wow, yep. and another thing I found with him he never walked on a road.. <laughs> he always walked if there's a trail or a road, you know, like most people take the easy route. He would never walk on a road or a path. He always walked on the side of it. i mean I'm talking in the edge of the woods, following that same trail or path. Mm. I thought that's pretty sneaky, but it's a pretty good idea too, mm. Because, I mean, this
1: was in the 90s?
2: Yeah, I believe 91 and 90... Yeah, between 91 and 93, I'm sure it was because my aunt passed away the day we were having court in 93. Okay. Yeah.
1: Because, I mean, I would, you know, back then you wouldn't have to worry about cellular trail cameras and stuff like that, which would definitely... No,
2: we didn't even have cell phones.
1: Yeah, that would make it easier, I guess.
2: Yeah, we didn't have nothing like that. Uh, We... You know, once we got established the residence, we got established. We had a hard line, but we had, you know, no, there was no internet. There was no uh, very little cell cam or very little trail cameras and no cell cameras at all. So,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, <laughs> getting caught was rare and by cameras and such, such thing.
3: Yeah. So,
1: how would you document the evidence? I believe you said. You had a camera on your turkey vest?
2: Yes, we, there's a, there was an outfit here in Ohio run by the High Attorney General's office and, uh, those guys were, all those were, were technical, eight technical individuals that did, uh, video and, you know, uh, cameras and surveillance and they, they, you know, they were experts in that field. So we went and got hooked up with them and they hooked me up with, uh, well, what, it's still called a pinhole camera
3: mm-hmm.
2: the reason why they call it that is that the lens is actually the same size of a ink pin on the end of an ink pen minute and yeah then we had a, a recording device hooked up in the back of my vest i had a special vest there i sewed a pouch into it but it only would run about an hour or two before you had to change batteries and then so you, I would never turn it on until I got in the woods, you know, trying, and you had to go, I had to act, which I always tried to, which a lot of times was true, I'm gonna have to go have me a bowel movement. And uh, during that <laughs> episode, I would turn my cameras on. <laughs> yeah. So I knew I would get the full amount of time on my camera. So that way, if you turned it on before you got to the woods, or before you met them individuals, by the time you got in the woods and everything, you was limited on your, uh, amount of time you had. So, that's
1: yeah, I yeah. I mean, the cameras now compared to the early 90s would be a, a whole different ball game on battery uh, life.
2: Uh, and when I say cameras, it was many, many, uh, many high eights and mini eights is what we use. And then on our van, we had multiple cameras, same thing video, uh, but it was VCR. <laughs> big old VCR unit we had stored back here in the back by the spare tar.
1: Oh, my gosh. And yeah. so, yeah. when y'all were poaching deer at night, y'all would take your van, right? You convinced yeah. them that yours was yep. the way to go so y'all could take a big group.
2: Yep. Yep. I discovered early on in Clam Bake that you want to keep the party going in a pickup truck. Back then, they didn't have a four seater pickup truck. You just had a crew cab, you know, or just a regular cab. Mm-hmm. Most guys you could really get in there with three. Well, if you're sitting at a bar and you're drinking five or six guys that are ready to go hunting or go night hunting, why? Well, You got a van, you can haul them all, but, and I get to drive. So I control the cameras and control how fast we're going if we get chased and things of that nature. So, but then again, when we'd have to, if we'd shoot a deer or whatever, I'd run up, turn around and come back if I was by myself. Uh, then while I was turning around, I'd get out and run back there real quick and exchange tapes. So I'd have a full tape when I come back to pick them up.
3: Hmm.
2: And in the front seat, over the driver's or passenger seat, we had a I had a um, infrared lighting, and then I had in a set of speakers. I had the camera. Well, that infrared lighting was designed like a Confederate flag, and them guys would ask me what that was because obviously you couldn't see, you know, with the naked eye. But at nighttime, the guy in the front seat, he was always lit up real good. Yeah, he so would be pitch black in the van, but you could see the uh, guy sitting in the in the front seat shooting out the window, you know, real good. It was a couple of times them guys wanted to know what that was, so I'd give them a sob story about I had a stepson who was in a wheelchair and handicapped. He'd done electronics, and he made that for me, but he passed away since then, and I just keep it up there as a souvenir. (laughs) 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 They never did. uh, One of them pulled the visor down, so well, maybe we can fix it. I said, no, nah, don't worry about it. And it's, you know, it's just, a, it's just a sentimental thing, and I just keep it up there, so nobody ever questions <laughs> it. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> and what? When I come up with some of my, some of my stuff, I have no idea. It just, it, I, it wasn't rehearsed. It was just fly by your pants. Yeah. Like quick thinking. Yeah, quick I mean you thinking. had to. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And we he pulled that down, and he said, well, let's see if we can fix it. I went, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, I uh,
0: yeah, I bet.
2: I had a knob that I had designed on the left-hand side down underneath the console or underneath the dash. And I had one, two, three, four cameras. I had one, uh, one shot out the front of the truck, one shot at the driver's seat or the passenger seat, and I have one that was shot, when you open the side van door, it was shot right right into that door, and I had one out the back. So whenever we'd shoot a deer at night, and it'd load it up, I'd always turn my dome light on, and that would get a good color video then. Wow. <laughs> but then I could hmm. control that switch, which which camera I wanted to use. If we're stopping and sitting in the middle of the road, I'd flip it onto the one where your passenger's shooting out the window. and if we're loading them up, I'd flip it to the side, and then if we're at Camp unloading it and butchering them. I'd flip it to the back or the front, whichever way I was
0: pulled in. Wow. That's crazy. So you're, you're out there. You've infiltrated this, this ring, this poacher's ring by yourself. You're out there at night shooting deer by yourself. You're out in the woods turkey hunting with this group by yourself. You've got all this technology in your van. You've got some technology in your vest to record what would what do you think would have happened had you gotten had one of them found the cameras and all that
2: I don't think if I was with Claude, I don't think nothing would have happened it we would have it would have you know it would have been it would have been discovered i don't i don't feel uh or felt that I would have had any harm come to me. There was a couple of individuals of that group I believe they would have uh i believe they would have just shot me wow. Uh, there were a couple in that group, I believe, it had just popped a cap on me. Wow.
1: How many guys were in the group total?
2: Wow. Uh, I think we had arrested 26 individuals.
3: Good gosh. gosh.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, because you mentioned that there was one story where y'all poached a deer at night, basically out of somebody's yard, wasn't it? Yep, and that's correct. And they caught y'all, like came down yeah. the driveway.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah
1: and yep. but, they but knew you, the guy. you left the video running in the van while you went inside or something and yeah, got that's,
2: that's correct we had the video uh, unloaded the deer and i normally turn it turn it off but you know uh but i had good evidence then I, I forgot to turn it off well no actually i couldn't turn it off the only way i could turn it off was go back to the tr- back in the truck back in the back turn it off back there well everybody's still around i couldn't do that so the door was open, and these guys, two of these individuals was outside talking and right next to my van, and I'm videoing and recording, and it, they're talking about killing this guy. And the guy who caught y'all shooting the deer in his front yard. Correct, correct. And wow. And I didn't know anything about this, see, because I was inside the bunker, or the hunting cabin there, and then when I come out and come home and reviewed the tape, that's when I went, oh, my land, what are we going to do here?
3: You can't yeah. use this
2: in a court of law because in the state of Ohio, in order to record someone, at least one party has to know it's being recorded. And therefore, if I'm recording it, I know it's being recorded, so that makes it valid. But in a scenario like that, neither party knew that it was being recorded, therefore couldn't be used in a court of law.
0: Oh, yeah, because you weren't there. That's correct. So ah.
2: I'd have been outside talking with them and, you know, would have been covered, but uh, I decided to better call up the chain of command. I don't get paid this kind of money to make this decision, so yeah, I called them up, told them about supervisors, and told them what we had, and he said, well, at this stage of the game, let's just let it ride and see what happens, so <laughs> i materialized from it, but, uh, you know, you never know those type of people, what could have materialized and what couldn't, but had I mean, that's kind of... i would never crossed before.
1: That's a little worrisome that they would uh, kind of de- dismiss potential murder threats. Uh, that well,
2: uh, true. I understand, but they probably had to talk to... It. This was mid-during, it was like 4 o'clock in the morning, and they had to contact probably some higher-up people and law people, uh, you know, attorneys and stuff, perhaps. I don't know. But my boss told me that, that night when I called him, he said, let it ride, and we'll see what happens. And, uh, and he called me, I think, the next day. He said, anybody... Anything happened, nothing that I'm aware of has happened, so we just kind of, you know, hope it didn't, and it did not.
1: I mean, did that, I feel like That's from your per- perspective, would that, did that make you a little more fearful doing what you were doing after you just heard them talking about killing a guy?
2: Uh, yeah, that just proved who I thought would kill a person, because those yeah. two individuals that were the ones doing the talking was the one that I think would have popped the cap at me had they known what I was doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so you don't really feel like it, or at least at the time didn't feel much like those were, that it was just chit chat, you know, a little braggadocious talking. Well, let's go kill the guy. I mean, you, you felt like there was some merit Absolutely. in that.
2: Absolutely. I did because those two individuals who were carrying that conversation on were the two individuals I was the most fear. I, I was, I, I don't want to say fear. Sure, sure though, but I was Just very cautious of cautious of because these guys were evil. Wow,
1: that's that's crazy. And yep. so, so nothing came out of that. And so back to I guess back to turkeys. So you were there for one full turkey season, I guess, or whatever their turkey season starting in February, hunting with Claude <laughs> and all that. And this group, and you stayed. You lived there the whole year till the following, I guess, February, when they finally introduced you to the the main target of this investigation.
2: Yes, and then we, we finally, after we got enough evidence on him, during this time from February to February, that's when we were start. This thing was like a coming out of that bar was like a wagon wheel. This every time you go in the bar you'd run into somebody was doing something illegal so next thing you know you're going this <laughs> direction next thing you know you're going that direction so we were doing a lot of of poaching with multiple people in that area before I got to meet the number one guy which really helped me for credibility oh yeah yeah. you were in the That's whole, why we all had the had people so he knew just... and when we took it down was because during that year that we were trying to meet the number one suspect uh, or target he was we were you know out running around with everybody else that was doing stuff yeah um, and then once I had some good credibility with Claude and a few others there that you know I'm, I fit right in the crowd why they would not they didn't hesitate for me to go with them to uh, and I and they knew I would drive yeah. and they knew that I would not drink when we were driving because yeah. I told them you know, back then you couldn't carry you know didn't even have know what I could concealed carry was but we had you you could carry a long gun and not have a problem if the sheriff pulled you over. If you had a pistol on you you're going to jail because you got a concealed gun on you and so we never did carry a handgun but we had uh, we had our twenty two magnum fixed up there and like I said my dad was a gunsmith and he fixed that twenty two magnum up uh so it could not fire unless I manipulated it too far. Uh-huh. Or if a bad guy got a hold of it tried to shoot me with it, he couldn't get it to go off yeah that's so, smart well but you know back then you had a rifle in your truck that was nothing you know to have one hanging in the gun rack or something that wasn't nothing so that's what we used for our, that was what we used and when i say we at later on i had a partner whose name was well his was a real name his, his name was don and he was older than i, I was but uh <laughs> him and i got along good him got him and i got along good we never worked before but we got along good he was he fit right in and yeah, but he always, he, I was younger, so he always stayed at camp and cooked. He liked to cook. He'd stay camp. And I was always doing all the running around, you know. So, <laughs> he would get, now at that particular time, you could get, everybody had to wear a hunting license on their back, of their on their back, in the middle of their back. So huh. sometimes we didn't even know uh, who these guys was. So when he we were out hunting and they left their coat or something laying around, he'd get that information.
1: Wow, so they had you had to stitch your hunting license onto your your literal back, like visibly on your back.
2: Yep, back then you had to have your vis your hunting license visibly displayed in the middle of your back, just like a huh. license plate. That's and we'd be hunting, you know, not know who this guy was, and get in behind him, and then just kind of memorize that number, and then write it down the first chance you got, it. and then that's how we would get his information.
1: Because <laughs> wow. you just I mean, you're meeting 20-something people. Like you couldn't, you're just meeting people all the time. It sounds like they're poaching.
2: Yeah. Well, I tell you what. Sometimes so, him and I were pretty good. We got uh, basically if it was serial numbers on a gun, a guy handed us a serial number. My job was to get the first part. His job was to get the second part. And we uh, didn't have to try to remember it all. Yeah. Well, there was a lot of times that we would write them numbers down. Sometimes we even wrote it down in the in our on our van in the dirt or in our dust on the van in different spots all over the truck. Then when we got to a safe place we'd record it and then sometimes we'd even write them down in a, in the mud or something along the road and then go back at night and or whenever we could and re record that number that we'd wrote down in the mud.
3: Wow. Mm-hmm. That's...
2: Once you were once you were once you got it recorded you didn't have to try to remember it. So yeah. we had to move on to something else. Yeah. I'm trying to remember it You know, the whole evening or whatever, that was, yeah, that, uh, you know, that wasn't going to happen. So we came up with a system. We just write her down somewhere. If you looked on my van, you might have found a number up around the bumper, you know, and then if you looked up around the front tar, you might find another number. And we just, (laughs) that's how we maintain some of it.
1: How with
2: Claude and I guess target number one, what was his name again? I've never used his name before because I won't give that little I won't give him credibility. Okay. Target, yeah, okay. target one, and Claude. Oh, Sumbag.
1: Okay, so he was. You did not like him. I despised that
2: individual.
1: Wow. Why would Claude? I mean, it sounds like Claude was a pretty nice guy and everything. Why would he get mixed up with that guy?
2: I I don't think he was mixed up with him as near as what intelligence said. Even when we went out and hunted in February with this number one guy. We would not hunt with Claude. Claude wouldn't go with us. The only time Claude ever went with us was when we went to West Virginia, because this guy had a camp or had a lot of property and turkeys over in uh, Williams County, West Virginia, I think it was. And it's uh-huh. so the only time Claude ever went with us.
1: Okay. So they weren't really good buddies or anything. They just they
2: were... no. They they were hunting. I think they hunted a little bit, but I don't think they. Come find out they didn't really run around as much as what people, what our intelligence
1: said. Gotcha, gotcha. Because I kind of, I guess in my mind, I was thinking more of like a Batman and Robin type one and two, but it does not sound like that. They just happened. No,
2: they were, they were both good here. at what they did. Yeah, they did not compete at each, between the two of them, but they, uh, they were, they, they, they were. I don't want to say they uh, respected each other's skills. I would say.
1: Yeah, with the main guy, how many? Turkeys? Was this guy killing in a in a season? Do you think before season started? Uh,
2: I I don't well I'd have to look, but I think we took when we took out his house, we took over the evidence uh, the the res, results of over a hundred turkeys. Different
1: wow! Turkeys. And he never hunted during actual season, so I mean it's nice. pretty. You would assume at least most of them were killed before season. Yes. Yes.
2: Wow. Yeah. Uh, uh. Well, and back then, let's see, back then, I think they give you a metal tag that you had to attach to that animal. Well, he never yeah. had none. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah, he's shooting in February. Right, right. Were they and, shooting, um, were they hunting goblins? I don't know exactly without looking, at, looking it up. I don't know how many turkeys we killed before turkey season come in, but we took them out of like two or three townships, and it was a devastating amount of birds that was taken out of those two or three townships.
1: I mean if you had to rough guess, what you, I mean fifty, sixty, seventy?
2: I would say I would say between fifty and seventy. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And we're, I mean were they that's a lot of gobblers were taken out of the two or three townships on an opening season and there ain't a bird no more.
1: Wow. But they were shooting the gobblers?
2: They they weren't shooting hens? They would shoot whatever got in range. But 90% of it, it was gobblers.
1: Okay. But if the hen did wander in, they would just shoot
2: her too? Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, I used, they used a shotgun, and I always used a twenty two Ruger with a scope. <laughs> and they always questioned me why I did that. And I said, well, it don't crack louder than a shotgun. And I said, I can shoot their heads off and get them in close enough. Well, you know so i had the opportunity to shoot they made me shoot a couple <laughs> a couple of times well, i always missed of course but <laughs> <laughs> a lot easier to miss with a rifle than it is with a shotgun
3: yeah
1: well you found that out i guess on that first turkey you shot out of the car <laughs> yeah exactly yeah that makes sense so so yeah i mean you're looking at i mean if y'all went into a property and heard several birds gobbling in there or whatever. I mean, would y'all just hunt there till y'all pretty much killed them all? Yep. yep. Wow. And yep. so then then your legal hunter shows up opening day
2: wondering
3: where they are.
2: Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. I would I would think about that about uh. turkey even coming in. Them boys probably been hearing birds now and then, and now they ain't got singing They ain't got a bird in there within hearing Because
3: 'Cause y'all
1: killed them all.
2: Yep. Wow. Uh-huh. Yeah, Man. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a little story here. Uh, my partner there at time we was out spotlighting and he start, he's in the back of the van. Outlaw there, number one outlaw there, he's in the front seat. My partner starts coughing. And I mean, he's hawking and hacking and I mean, <laughs> you know, big time. And I said, and the outlaw said, you okay? And he goes, yeah, yeah, he's back to coughing. Finally I got concerned myself and I said, you okay? He goes, yeah, yeah, and he's still coughing. Well, finally he finally quit after I don't know, probably a good two minutes. And when we stopped there, uh, went up the road there a while. The outlaw got out, got out there in front of the vehicle, take a leak. I said, well, I said, man, you okay? And he goes, Yeah. He said, we had these little miniature cassette tapes in our pocket. That's what we've done a lot of recording with. And he, he was back there in the dark, and he was trying to switch that over, and he had to hit play and record at the same time and he didn't get to record Down he got play and that speaker it was talking that's that oh no uh, recording was talking in the back there with him oh <laughs> all my our that's oh,
0: what he was man. lying, coughing for trying to cover that up oh no <laughs> wow
2: <laughs> yeah yeah it was a yeah He was you know, like I say he was in the dark and he was trying to he had it there and he turned it on and it yeah it went on alright the volume was <laughs> up <laughs> and our voices were carrying on and hmm. he's, Hacking and reason to cover it up. Yeah, I thought he'd die back here, but <laughs> he was. He thought he was. KK. He did a good job.
0: <laughs> wow, that is hilarious. How many other times did did do you think that you were close to to somebody figuring out what was going on, whether it was mistakes like that or well anything Chip, else?
2: Chip, Chip Bruce. He he about got me hung one time on Operation Clambake. He called me. I got the approval through the supervisors, and he wanted to do an interview on on that. Well, he writes for magazine called I think at that time it might have been called Wild Ohio. Mm -hmm. He wrote like a you know two or three page article on undercover work on that project. Well, this one couple of these guys get that magazine. (laughs) So we come back from the state of West Virginia, and we're out there talking, and these guys bring up the fact that, you know, undercover agents, undercover wildlife guys, you know, they come in right and live with you. We'll live with you. And Claude told him, he said, yes, I I thought he was a game warden too. And uh, I said, yeah, I thought we we was over that. He said, yeah, we are. Oh, my gosh. And this other guy said, yeah, it's just funny you kind of showed up like this, isn't it? I thought, (laughs) Well I could have killed Chip or if I could have got a hold
0: of him. Yeah. But it all
2: worked out. But yeah, they said them guys even said, man, guy, whoever the guys are or the people are, they go in and live with them and spend time with them and they was really they were really impressed, but you know, here I am, the odd man out.
1: You're sitting there like, Yeah, y'all got it just right. That's exactly yeah. what we did.
0: I mean, yeah, yeah, you, that's exactly
2: what happened. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah. You're living it. Company. You just don't know it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you're going to jail. You just don't know it yet. <laughs> oh, my gosh.
1: <laughs> you had that happen in a, I don't know, maybe it was the duck hunting one, that operation where you are playing cards or something, and somebody said, you know, you would make a good undercover cop.
2: Like, Yeah, yeah. Yep. that's correct. That correct. We were playing poker down there one night, and these guys were in a little you know, just a small cabin. There's probably eight or nine of us in there and they, they were talking about drugs. They were talking about drugs. Mm. And that's when they said, you'd make a good undercover cop. And I said, I don't, I don't remember what I said or I don't even know if I replied to them. Sometimes it's just better not to even reply.
3: Mm, yeah.
2: But they just, they just, uh, you know, I just took it with a grain of salt. They never did suspect otherwise. I think maybe if I'd have brought, I think if I'd have tried to convince them that I wasn't, that would have been more damaging. Yeah. So sure. Sometimes you just gotta, you know, read the crowd and kind of just go with whatever your instincts are. Yeah. You know, and you I had have... another incident where they, they asked about, they were talking about a bald eagle. We'd had a bald eagle shot down along the river in Adams County and these guys surmised that I was a game warden during that during the two of them got up guy in the building, he said, where are y'all going? He said, oh. so we're going out. Said, we talked to the guy that killed the bald, bald eagle. Well, I heard him say that, but I never even looked up. Mm. And I think they were testing me to see what my response was. Wow. And I never even looked up. Never uh, even recognized them. Never even got involved in the conversation. And I think that blew their mind. Like, he's after us. He thought maybe I might have been after that person that shot that bald eagle. I think they just used that as a way to see if it, if I'd take any interest in it, which I did not.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you look up and, oh, who, who was it that shot the bald eagle? If you start doing that stuff, that would a. you think that would tip That would
2: have raised species. And that's probably what they were, that's probably what their plan was to see if they get any response out of it. hmm But wow. my instinct said, keep your mouth shut. So I did.
3: Wow.
1: And one of the, I got a good laugh in the book. I was reading I can't remember which operation. There were some guys that were deer hunting at night and stuff. And you had told them you wouldn't, you didn't go at night because you didn't want to get caught poaching. And so you handed them a camera and said, show me what kind of
2: hunters you are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did. was down in, that were down in Cincinnati and uh, they go out and record their kills and bring them back and show them to me. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't, yeah. I, I, I was shocked. They actually went out and killed them. They went into the state of Indiana and killed them, and brought them back. And then we'd all watch him there at the house.
1: Oh my gosh! And you would yeah. keep the tapes.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's my camera.
1: Oh my gosh! And you said, yeah. they'd like they'd look in the camera and be like, "This one's for you, Bill." And like, yeah, that's
2: exactly <laughs> correct. That's right. That's correct. That is exactly right. The right.
3: <laughs> that's I awesome. That.
2: that was when I was living right next to the to the to the, to the to one of. Them. Lived, yeah, uh, that's right. So it's hard to get away from him. And, yeah, uh, but yeah, we were we were pretty good friends, or I'd say buddies. We were pretty good buddies. I won't say use a, a friend term very lightly. But.
1: Yeah. So.
2: Yeah. They Red out that Now, one of them boys committed suicide after the fact, and oh. uh, the other one, I do not know what happened to him.
1: Jeez. You think because of the crimes and stuff, that's what caused him? Well,
2: that's what they blamed it on. The fact that he was, you know. He had uh, said we said he uh, he'd been in a lot of other trouble too, and mm. uh, on top of all that he got depressed, and uh, they utilized that that was part of the problem that caused him to commit suicide. Now whether that's true or not, I don't know, but huh. the fact that he did commit suicide is true.
1: Yeah, well, so back on Redbud, you spent two. Springs turkey hunting with Claude and a lot of these guys and one spring with Target number one, the main guy. Right. And so, at what point were you able to confidently say, "Let's take them"? Like I got all the evidence we need.
2: Now, well, I'm not the one that made that decision. I'd okay. Like I said I'd like to rat hole winter. I'd like to win another turkey. Win another turkey season. <laughs> 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 That's- I like the turkey hunt. Uh, but, uh, then to, to touch a little base on that, that one guy, number one guy, he had a heck of a farm over in West Virginia. Well, I told and him he was awesome going to West Virginia. He said, where are you going? I said, all I know is, is a certain, certain road and certain, certain road. And, and that's all we knew. I said, I don't know where it's at. Nothing. Wow. I didn't know until later that he, uh, he didn't say he did. He said that was the worst mistake of me ever letting you go. Cause I, I, I never slept for three days. <laughs>
3: oh my gosh.
2: So we come back home, and, and uh, this guy killed two or three turkeys there. I didn't kill anything, but I uh, was going to go back over there in West Virginia in the legal season, and uh, which we did. And I told him, I'm going back. I'd like to go back. No, nope, nope, you ain't going back. I said, ah, come on. Well, I went back and killed a turkey legally. <laughs> checked it in and everything and, and then he killed a couple more and never checked me in or nothing but uh, my boss he kind of freaked out over that scenario
1: but, yeah I mean but, you're going to the woods somewhere nobody knows where you are with people who might not like that you're a game ward
2: <laughs> that's correct and I was I was back I, I had no clue where I was we were back in the middle of the, a mountain back in there in the state of West Virginia they could have knocked me in the head and then never found me
3: Wow. Yeah. That's
1: bold. And I mean, did did they know you were checking your turkeys in and doing legal action? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. They never questioned questioned that, that, but they didn't. Yeah. You know, uh, I figured they'd question that, but they didn't. (laughs) So, you know, it worked out. But I killed my turkey, tagged it, took it in the check station, tagged it, and had my valid license and everything was cool.
0: I've ordered my book. Well, good. You should. It, it is a
1: it's a fantastic read. Very easy read. It's written, you know. It it's not. It's just stories, you know. It's not yeah. some philosoph philosophical concept that's going to keep you up at night. You're just reading stories of what happened. And man, is it it really came to life though. Listening to RT tell the stories, you know. Yeah. A witness talking about it on this phone call and next week's episode when we wrap this up with RT. Just the stories are unbelievable.
3: Yeah. But yeah. Man, man the really
1: sacrifice man. that guy went through, which we kind of dive into next week or so to to catch these guys is unbelievable. And really, yeah, for his career doing this
0: and. and You know, it's probably more appropriate for me to say this in next week's intro or outro, but I'm not sure that I'll remember to do it. But you can when you hear that part of the interview, you can hear the sincere remorse that he has for not being there for events for his family and. I mean, his his tone goes from, man, you know, he's reliving these stories and kind of the high of being undercover. And then we get into that topic and his he gets real solemn. And I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, I, I think if he could go back and and somehow change that. And guarantee he couldn't that he was not going to blow his cover by attending events for his children and things like that. He he, no doubt would do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, but definitely go grab a copy of the book from Chip Gross and RT Stewart. It's on Amazon. The title again is Poachers Were My Prey: Eighteen Years as an Undercover Wildlife Officer, and you will not regret that purchase. It is. It is full of stories. I mean, I've, I've been glued to it. So go grab that. And next week, we'll talk to RT again, continuing this conversation. And you get a lot more stories, some comical situations he found himself in and how he worked his way out of them.
0: <laughs> yeah, crazy. <laughs>
1: the guy just, you can just tell he has the ability to morph to any situation and handle any question or conflict with a cool calm collected answer you know and and that's how he kept it going
0: yeah i mean i just can't imagine
1: being undercover as a wildlife officer with people who you think might very well kill you if they find out and you know the guy day one the guy busts you out with your real name and you somehow managed to navigate that (laughs)
0: that's crazy hmm.
1: that's
3: crazy but yeah
1: go get you the book it's it's online you can get it on amazon there's probably other options i think there's you know you can get the audio book i believe is available as well there's there's plenty of options to do that but go pick that up and operation redbud is the second chapter in there that one's about the turkey ring we talked about mostly this week but it, it's a great book and Hope you guys enjoyed that. I thought, I think this is a cool story we're getting to share with folks.
0: Yeah, it is. No doubt.
3: Yeah.
1: Well,
0: I'm just going to take a stab at what the favor of the week is going to be. <laughs> I'm wow. going to guess that you're going to ask the listeners to buy early and buy often the raffle tickets for the hunt that we're going to have in February.
1: Yeah, I think that sounds good to me. We have never, to my knowledge, come out with anything like this, where we've actually asked the listeners to participate in something such as this, and we're, what, 450-something episodes into this deal? Yeah. So, if you have enjoyed the 450-something-plus hours of audio Andy and I have slaved over for many years, we would... Happily welcome you to join us on this hunt. Go do the raffle, and we're asking you to help out two great wild turkey organizations and hopefully come hunt Rio Grande turkeys with us in February. So go do that. We look forward to seeing you in camp in Texas in not very many days compared to what everybody thinks this spring. I understand your mind's on deer or ducks or other things in the fall right now, but I can promise you about February 1st, your brain's going to be saying, man, I can't wait to go turkey hunting. And yeah. at that point, especially if you live in the Northeast, you're looking at waiting until May. Well, yeah. if you want to go early, you better buy some raffle tickets. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I can promise you, I know how everybody's mind works with this deal. We're all on all this other stuff, football, deer, ducks you know and then all of a sudden february hits and there's nothing you're just sitting there well if you wait till then you're gonna have missed it because we're drawing this thing january 15th
0: two somebodies are gonna win may as well be you
1: could be you could be you and your buddy y'all put Mm -hmm. in buy a bunch of tickets and let's go and we look forward to it i think this is a great opportunity to raise money for wild turkeys and hopefully have a fun time. I know it'll be a fun time. So get on there. Hit one of the links either in the show description or on one of our social media pages. Or go back to the intro and you can re-listen to Andy tell you the link. And type that in and go do that. And we really look forward to seeing what you guys can do. We we haven't asked much of you to be honest over all these years. So we're we're asking you to join us in this raffle and raise some money. All right. Wrap it on up. We'll see you guys next week to talk to RT again. I have a feeling y'all will be back. If you heard episode one, you're going to want to hear the conclusion.
0: Yeah, no doubt. All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. We know that you have choices. We appreciate you spending your time with us. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we'll look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast.